Hello friends, how are you? Um, I hope this finds you well. I'm doing this quite late at night. It's been a slightly delayed episode this week, um, but that's because, well, all the best things are worth waiting for. So I'm doing this at half past nine at night, which I don't know why, like doing things in the dark makes you talk in a slightly different way as if I'm doing some kind of late night call-in show on a radio station. I'm not. I'm just introducing another episode of my Pride and Joy soundtrack in my weekly podcast uh, in which I get to dive into the beautiful and brilliant creative minds of composers, writers, directors, all sorts to talk about the beautiful and very special relationship between film, music I should say, and the movement image. Um, It's been a busy week in terms of seeing things. London Film Festival is about to kick off and that always means a great kind of opportunity to see lots of things and I've been lucky enough to see, I saw three films yesterday which started off with Luca Guadagnino's Bones and All. Wow. Uh, What else did I see? I saw Martin McDonough's uh, The Banshees, uh, as I shall abbreviate it. So great. I love, I mean, it just made me want to go and watch Three Billboards because I just love Martin's tone. I love his I love his voice in filmmaking. And then I saw Sam Mendes' new film, Empire of Light, and all of them I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed and very much hoping that we can talk about them with, uh, whether that be director or composer or someone else connected to the film on the podcast in coming months. But right now, we are going to be discussing the music of a beautiful little gem of an indie film. Uh, It's called It Is In Us All and we're in the company of its director, Antonia Campbell-Hughes and composer Tom First of the horrors fame. It Is In Us All tells the story of Hamish, a Londoner who returns to his ancestral home of Donegal and is drawn into the world of a boy who nearly kills him in a car crash. Hamish, I should add, is played by Cosmo Jarvis. You've heard me wax lyrical about Cosmo Jarvis. Um, because he was in, I think, one of my favourite films. Now, I'm going to say last year, but I know that it's that weird thing, isn't it? Where I'll go, last year, it was actually three years ago because of COVID, which has kind of given us this weird time warp of when things happened. But it was, in fact, three years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Calm With Horses was the name of the film that I was about to talk about that featured Cosmo Jarvis. Three years ago. How is that possible? Um, but we talked to Nick Rowland and uh, Blank Mass as Ben about that film as well, which if you haven't seen that yet, go and check that out. But we are here to talk about It Is In Us All. Sorry, I digress. Um, and it's a film that has just had a little run in cinemas, but you can watch it right now on Curzon Home Cinema. And I'm sure that it is about to be made available on a lot more streaming services. So please do go and check it out because. It's so important to give your support, not just to independent film, but particularly independent film that is made by women. So please go and see it. Antonia, who wrote the film and directed it, is a, she's a jack of all trades. She's an actor, a fashion designer, just a, an all-round creative. And it's really beautiful to see what she's done with this film. It's also it's Tom's first film score. And since it's not available commercially, he has very kindly moved heaven and earth to provide us with a few of his cues, including this one, as yet untitled.
Antuna Tom, thank you so much for coming to to talk to me on on soundtrack. And it's been so lovely actually over the last couple of months specifically. We've had this really constant journey of getting the opportunity to speak to director, writer, director, and the composer. And it's just a really beautiful journey to get that opportunity to talk about that collaboration. I really enjoyed It's in a Soul. Congratulations on the film. I mean, it's got so many things. It's got great performances. It's got fantastic story where there are lots of unanswered things, which I like. It's great when cinema does that. You don't want all the questions answered. Yeah. You love that, Antonia, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Yeah. I do, though, that. because, I mean, it's a, I think, you know, we have such a high output high input world that we live in where everything is very much like compartmentalized and everything is quite binary in the categories it comes under and I'm really excited by the kind of the bits in between that sounds quite vague but you know that's what I find thrilling. Do you mind talking a little bit about before we get on to the the music and the collaboration between you two where the idea came from because you wrote this and directed the film so I was just really interested to what the kind of the inspiration for the story was really. I guess it's like you know, we always, I, I'm constantly sort of intrigued and perplexed by certain themes and ideas, you know, that are just in my daily life. So I guess probably a lot of the work will always continue to be in that same arena. The scheme, the the funding scheme was quite a quick turnaround and I had to present an idea and there were certain boundaries with that, which is like set in Ireland to a certain budget. So in a sense, the protagonist, Hamish, his life is kind of mine. So to hang it off a certain narrative and I was really interested and because it was a women's fund, I was really interested in taking that opportunity and platform to give light and platform and introversion to the male that we often have with a female protagonist. You know, we give her depth. A lot of male protagonists are very, um, there's sort of these stereotypes and I really wanted to delve into that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a man visiting Donegal, a place he originally came from is sort of my story. And dislocation and therefore if you're truly dislocated you don't have boundaries and therefore it's the inability to actually have connection with anything Mm -hmm. and I was really interested in what impact that would have on a male versus these young children that I was observing who are from there locally and we can probably connect them with children in all parts of the world you know Romania Midwest who are so deeply present in vitality and mm-hmm. that contrast to me was really interesting it's interesting because even though we the, the kind of female characters who we who are very much part of the story but we don't see them or they're not there in physical form they have an incredible powerful strength within the story it's funny because a lot of you know the first again sometimes people just you know it's like flicking through a magazine <laughs> and if that's their impression they're like why are there so few females and why are they not you know if you're a female filmmaker the first woman in it, she is a product placement almost. And then the second female came in at a later stage. And she, I was encouraged because I really liked the idea of having a film with no women in it at all as a kind of experiment. But that went by the wayside very quickly. But there were second, <laughs> you know, rules and stuff. But uh, the second female, she very much, you know, she's placed to come in quite infrequently and be the voice of reason the voice of the audience and the vo- is his conscience both very important opposite sides of how we see women yeah and the mum and the aunt character as well I think are just yeah they are so present yeah absolutely they drive so much 
narrative, emotion, decision making within the story, even though they're not there. It's yeah. really clever. It's really, really great. And they're quite um, mysterious characters yeah. as well. Like, no one really goes into it too much. It's like mm. there's a funness there for them, you know, but there's not actually like a full reveal or uh, too much. It remains mysterious throughout the whole film. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, t- how did you and Antonio uh, meet and start working together? Uh, well, we were just kind of like internet friends for a while. <laughs> and then like, what does those people do? I found, the way like, the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's mad. Like it used to be, it was, I feel like when I was younger, it was the real outlier. But as I'm older, I've got all these friends I've never actually met, you know, like, all over the world. And we've like worked together and stuff. So yeah, Antonio and I had known each other for a while. And then there was a piece that I had done with the London Contemporary Orchestra which she had and yeah, just got in contact with me and just said, oh, I really love this bit of music. Um, can I use it for my film? Like, would you be interested in maybe doing the music for the film? And I'm like <laughs> so hungry to take on a project like that. I just jumped to it. I love the script. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I thought the interplay between the sort of two main characters was, yeah. I just say it's kind of ambiguous. There's tensions there, sort of actual nature of those tensions. So like, it felt to me to be quite ambiguous. Um, so, yeah, it just felt like quite a inspiring uh, story to try and put some, some sound to. Antonio, were you, did you know what you were looking for with regards to, to score and how much you wanted to score it as well? Because, I don't know, the landscape and the environment are such an important part, I feel, of the film that you allow those, those to breathe and exist without, you know, kind of discoloration from music and things like that or or guidance from music but yeah did you know what you were looking for I did very much know what I, I didn't want which was uh, well I really like silence in films I like you know the space in between I like obviously I find a lot of score very heavy-handed and it dictates what you're what is you're meant to feel and it kind of literally tells you a bad guy's around the corner and yeah, um, I, I hate that I really, it is a sort of mutual buffer of us, just that yeah. kind of I mean, I suppose storytelling. Because I kept saying to not dictate narrative, but it was more that uh, it was dictating place and energies, like different, so the exterior and interior had a very different tonality. But when I was writing it, I mean, I, uh, I wrote it before lockdown, but then when I was actually in development, I was going on these long walks in the play, in that same place. Wow. And listening to lots of... um. French uh, école militaire, like um, uh, like military academy men's choirs, mm-hmm. and it's just vocals. And I was like, this is it's so incredible because it's it's such a poignant aspect of masculinity. They're sort of semi-professional and they're so untrained in their voices, and that's something that I really wanted. But I was like, how can I put French military songs into an Irish film? It just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> 
was really interested in Shonos, which is the traditional Irish singing, but I couldn't find a singer. So all these things I was talking to Tom about when he came on and the pieces that I'd heard that he'd been doing as well. And he, they're a world, they create a world. And that's very much what I wanted to achieve. I mean, Tom, I remember, you know, I hope you don't you mind me kind of referencing horror sort of thing, you know, in terms of that no, world. That, I don't know where that is with you, but I, I remember kind of watching you guys over the years and stuff and the kind of the atmospheric nature of being in a room whilst you guys played live. There was a real transportative kind of mm. quality to the music that you were even making. Let's not put a number on it. It's only, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, a few years back kind of thing. So this feels like such a, a natural world for you to kind of progress and be part of. And I was interested to find what you connected with when you had those conversations with Antonio. Uh, Antonio, whether it was a, it was it was Antonio. character. I know, sorry, Antonio. <laughs> it's my Scottish accent. <laughs> my vowels are terrible. Whether it was the character or whether it was the narrative or whether it was the landscape or all those things. I think it was all those things. You know, the, even the opportunity to get to score a landscape is quite inviting to me. But obviously... You know, a landscape without characters isn't always the most exciting place. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, like I said before, I was very hungry to take on a project like this. Um, and it just felt like, ah, oh, he's actually, he's a story of, of substance and something that's like emotional. And I think something that is also, a, it's a spiritual journey. I think, I don't, Antonio, I don't know if you frame it in those terms, but like, no, I, I like in terms of like, you know, someone really discovering a lot about themselves in that time and kind of going on this very compressed uh, and quite violent adventure. I don't know, that just really resonated with me. And I think maybe mirrored in abstract things that were going on in my own life as well. So, you know, to kind of create this quite meditative um, sonic landscape to go with what I felt was quite a meditative film, you know, it's like super exciting to me. I remember one of the things Antonio said was that she didn't want fast notes, no, everything like that. Things were drawn out uh, and slow. So there's a lot of that in the film. It's just kind of like stretched out sound kind of over these stretched out landscapes. There's two particular cues that really stuck with me, and that that's one where where Hamish's character, the brilliant Cosmo Jarvis, goes into the the barn where the cow is, mm. and then he's in the abattoir room, sort of thing. I don't yeah. know if that's what it is, but that kind of room that that 
is a beautiful kind of imagery anyway in the way that you've shot it it's stunning um I'm, but in terms of the cue for that piece and that those scenes is just absolutely stunning do you mind talking a little bit about that yeah I, um, I'm just gonna hand over to you Tom but isn't it I kept saying that I wanted like a drum it was like this endless drum conversation it's like a heartbeat it's like a mm. right? yeah it has this sort of foreboding but also like it's from the groin upwards and it's this kind of you know it's like an internalized and it's very much to show a, a, a shift in Hamish's psychology I suppose and I was really into those you know the like death march drums you know like um that that they have in military bands as well mm. so that's and Tom over to yeah. you <laughs> I, yeah and I think I took that and maybe I think these were one of those were some of the few moments in the film where it made sense to break away from this like quite slow paced paddy ambient thing that we built up and to go somewhere quite intense but I think I still wanted to keep that that spiritual feel mm-hmm. to it like I, I I got quite into doing like guttural chanting <laughs> when I was doing it because you know you can find all this stuff in, in sample packs or whatever but I thought I actually realized it was much more sort of fun and engaging to learn how to do this thing that's um, awesome yeah it was fun because then uh, it's coming then it's coming from a then it's coming from like you know Antonio, you're talking about it coming from that kind of groin it comes as well. from and right then that so there. then it's it's coming from a truthful place then yeah from, yeah yeah you know yeah yeah no absolutely and I think yeah. um I'm just reaching for those points of intensity, I think. I think that's all it is. Like, I'm trying to get that frenzy um, mm-hmm. happening in the, in the score. But there's such striking imagery, those scenes, like the cow just sitting in the, in the barn that comes up later. There's a lot of these like, quite arresting shots. And to just get to like, add all this intensity to mm-hmm. it, to kind of really hammer home like what's happening here and the sort of like different emotions that are coming through Hamish's character um but yeah those were fun those were really fun scenes to score I really like that it's like stacked energy and intensity Also, that lovely kind of um, journey of of the character of Evan, Reese's performance, which is brilliant as well. And when he does that, where's that scene where he's like, well, fuck off back to London then. And the kind of cue after that is kind of really, really kind of stuck with me as well. That's the LCO. Um, That's the one that's got you on the project. 
Yeah. 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 It was a battle. Tom was like, no. Well, really? I, don't like, well, I don't like to look back. You want to yeah. keep moving uh, forward. I like, I like moving forward. I think that's been um, like a running theme throughout my creative life. <laughs> and, you know, you just attach certain, I mean, it, you know, to get to work with the LCO was like such a privilege. I don't think I'd ever worked with any kind of orchestral like set up where the string section or that full of the strings hadn't really happened. Mm. I found it incredibly intimidating. Mm. Um, but someone gave me the opportunity to do it. So I thought, okay, <laughs> let's give it a go. But you know, it, you've been the first step into that world. You're not always thinking, oh, I'm taking all the boxes I want to take and I'm going there. And obviously they're such an incredible orchestra and they've done such a huge range of incredible projects with incredible composers. You, you know, even like six months on from something, I'm like, oh, it can be better, it can be more. So, yeah, Tony had to kind of fight me on that. Uh, but, Edith, I'm so happy to hear that you, you love it. It works, yeah, works. Yeah. Listen, you could look at it almost as, in a way, in that, you know, the character of Hamish has kind of almost got to look back to move forward, or he's referencing the past to move forward. So, there you go. There you yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Channel that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Have that one. Carsten is brilliant, Antonia. I was interested just in terms of if you, you know, when you were writing it, if you had people in mind for these roles or how that casting process worked for you. Not really. I mean, to be honest, I haven't, so I keep forgetting her name, but there's this young teenage um, photographer who would, who was from like, I think the Midwest and I can't even remember her name now. I'm so sorry, but she was taking okay. photographs of her family. She had a sibling, a boy, and she kept posting pictures of this boy. And that's kind of where Evan came from because he was so raw and visceral and always hanging out of trees. But in terms of actors, I just know that it's um it's a, an energy, a sensibility. And obviously I had worked with Cosmo before, but we'd only kind of crossed slightly, uh, but I knew him in any case. And I met with a lot of actors, but he just had, he's unique in every way. Um, I mean, it's something that's always been very important to me as a, an actor. I was an actor, I'm, I'm but is that um, not to say that it's method and you live it, but that you really um, emotionally embody. And that's what Cosmo immediately, when I spoke to him first about it, that was so completely different. And there was such a 
a complete enmeshment with yeah. the story and the character and what he wanted, you know, the piece overall, more so than even the character. And I love the fact that he, in his own personal life, is so different to Hamish. A lot of actors like to rough up and he's kind of the opposite, like he'd be polished and then broken down. And I really <laughs> like going against type. And then finding Evan was really hard because uh, and I saw, I think, hundreds of kids. But I wanted a very absolutely pure open beauty some someone that is so direct and so uncalloused by the world and so new almost that their openness and their beauty is arresting and and disarming you know Mm -hmm. because on the page people made uh these kind of they leapt to stereotype of little kind of um feral children type casting and reese is the opposite of that I love that collection of friends, you know, when they're on the rooftop and the one of them's dancing and that is so beautiful. Mm. It's, There's it's such just, a bunch of characters. Oh. I really, yeah. really enjoyed as Reese. He, he was incredible to write to and respond to as a character because he's, he's, he's so, like, like you're saying, he's so full of beauty and energy, but it's that kind of like young, chaotic yeah, like yeah. energy where it could have gone I, you know sometimes he's flirting sometimes he's mischievous oh, yeah. and sometimes yeah. he's angry and that's if that uh, yeah. scene by the the cliff the cliff scene where he's yeah. going into the water that was kind of another one of those like really powerful moments but it's so I don't know even seeing the rushes it was like it was powerful it was like mm. raw, you know really yeah. something. was so important because um it was that ambiguity of sensuality without agenda without a, no, a, a conscious agenda yeah, but totally. it's very present yeah. that was so integral to get and it's a tricky it's a tricky area because you can't get someone to perform it they have to have it were there any main points of reference for you both in terms of i don't know just on a on a kind of larger scale when you were in in pre-production of you know, whether that's any kind of art form, really, not necessarily just film. I never liked, I mean, it's, it always comes up because especially when you're trying to give documents to like the broader crew. Yeah. I don't like to reference other films at all. It's just yeah. not something I look at or do or write. There was a couple of photographers, Rinko Kowalczy and Martina Huglans. They're just very beautiful photographers. And you can see in their work that it is that, for me, the leading character was, a sense of the place that mm. I wanted to be very much alien. And I kept saying it's science fiction and pastoral setting. And people go, what? 
But um, and I go yes. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm like, when can I go? Yeah, exactly. Just let me Take me there, please. Thank you. <laughs> but it is. I mean, working firstly way before I ever started shooting, I worked very closely with. Uh, my DP and my production designer and it was always to create that atmosphere that it is a man la uh, landing in an alien landscape and to establish that across the board and score was always going to be such an integral marriage to that mm -hmm. you know? yeah there's that scene where the car's driving down an empty road and the vista is just this kind of lush yeah. kind of oh it's beautiful it kind of like takes your breath away when you see it it's absolutely stunning yeah, it had an yeah. expansive feel that I felt was very trying to stick close to, I think, in just the, the sounds I was choosing and just the, just the feel of it, especially mm -hmm. for those open scenes. It definitely had this, you know, it's ambient, not ambient, but, you know, whenever people talk about electronic pastoral music, I do think about Cluster, I do think about Eno's early work, uh, Harold Bird, things like that. And, you know, those are major touch points for me just in life, you know, so to kind of get to express that uh, with Antonio's film um, was, yeah, very natural. I always feel slightly bad about asking this question because I know how much work has gone into this film. But do you know what's next? And the beautiful work you've done together in this, I hope it's something to continue with regards to collaboration together. But Antonia, you, do you know what your next film is yet? I mean, you, you know, obviously acting was part of your life. I hope it's not a, the door's not closed on that because, you know, I think there's that kind of knowledge of that world brings so much honesty to both writing and directing. I think that people who haven't had that experience can't bring. Well, I am working on my next uh, my next film. Yes, it's, I mean, I had a very tiny budget on this, so the main thing I'm looking for is a lot more cash. You can't <laughs> tell. That's the brilliant thing. What sure. you've been able to do sure. with your little pot of money is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And I really like. Um, I hate waste. You know, in the entertainment industry, there's a lot of waste. I see it all the time. And I used to always find that very frustrating as an actor, knowing what could be done. But I think that having limitations does bring innovation. And that's something I've always loved to rise to the challenge of that. And, and, you know, being able to do something new is always the, that's the drive, I guess. Mm. But yes, I do have a second film in development and that Tom is doing, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. We talked about it. It's good, I'm on board. Um, and yeah, I'm acting on a show for the next like year. So, Ooh. you know, the, the, I don't know about that. Yeah, you're doing the score. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> my, my TV debut, please. And what about you, Tom? Wow. Well, I've had the most wild year of 
kind of moving away from music be my main thing that I do every day into most of my days are spent making art with AI now. That's kind of been my major exploration over the last year. But I think, um, you know, I really believe that there is a, a new wave of, of filmmaking to come from this technology. And we're not, mm. we're not quite there yet with it. But um, yeah. I can really see a whole wave of independent uh, film, you know, TV, mm. what have you, coming out of being able to generate pretty much whatever you want on, you know, next to zero budget. Uh, it's going to be incredibly upsetting for the whole industry um, across various media. Uh, so I'm kind of just, that's my my thing that I'm doing right now. And yeah, I'm just sort of seeing where that goes. But it's um, incredibly fun and incredibly exciting. It's interesting. I, I was I spoke to Jonathan from Everything Everything about it because their record was kind of, they did a bit of an experiment with their last record where they generated not like the entire lyrical content of the album from AI, but they mm. kind of had, had a bit of a play with it in terms of yeah. the lyricism and, and and embracing it within things that he'd already written. And then weirdly, my other half, their first single they released off this new record was an AI-generated music video. And it was extraordinary. I remember I, just kind of every time you watch it, you find new things that are yeah. <laughs> unveiling themselves to you. Like it's impossible to try and take in everything that's been thrown at you in 10 sittings even you know it's, it's almost like it keeps it's a, a living thing almost in a way even after it's been finished I think we're getting to a point where we don't actually have to allow these things to be fixed points in time anymore they can kind of be like I've been talking about this for a while and, I, and again we're not quite there yet but um as like process of power increases everything gets more efficient etc but the idea of having living artworks and that could even be living environments um, or living pieces of music, or really whatever media you enjoy. I think mm. there's really space for so much to happen that, you know, what you're talking about, which is kind of what I've been doing for the last year. Um, yeah. It's the tip of the iceberg in a, in a really wild way. And, yeah. I, you know, I think that, you know, we're maybe not too far away from, you know, instead of a TV show with it, that's a sort of, you know, a series of episodes with a script that, you know, gets written, you know, these things are more experiences that you jump into um, and maybe closer aligned to video games. Um, yeah. That they are sort of, you know, a fixed piece of media that we've got, which is really how we've just got used to consuming art. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's space for all things, but it's so yeah. exciting. It's just, it, it's so, it, yeah, it's just wildly exciting. So that's kind of really where my energies are. Brilliant. Well, listen, loads to talk about, hopefully, when you guys come back for a second visit to the podcast. But it's been an absolute joy to get to speak to you about this this wonderful film, It's In Us All. Tom, thank you so much. And Tony, huge congratulations. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Edith. Thanks so Take much. Take care, guys. Have a good weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
From the score to It Is In Us All, that's another of Tom Farce's yet-to-be-named cues, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Tom and Antonia Campbell-Hughes. My huge thanks to Antonia and Tom for their time. It Is In Us All is available to watch now on Curzon Home Cinema, and I thoroughly recommend that you do so. We have to say a huge huge thanks in fact to Tom um, for taking so much time and effort to give us um, some of those cues which as we said I've not given any names yet but it's so important to highlight how important they are to the film and a film that was made for less than half a million pounds as well which is mental to think about but go and check it out head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and please do subscribe whilst you're there if you haven't already Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And if you fancy dropping us an email, the address is info at edithbowman.com. But one thing that I please ask you to do, because we are a bit like It Is In Us All, a little independent film. We are a little independent podcast. We don't come out of a big broadcaster or from some kind of big machine where we have lots of money behind us. And we really do rely on your word of mouth to get the podcast out there. We have over 320 episodes up online at edithbowman.com. So I'm sure that if you search for the film, the director or a composer, you'll find something up there to heighten or indulge your love of cinema. So please, if we ask anything, is that you spread the word if you like what you hear and do dive into edithbowman.com to look for some previous episodes to tantalise your film taste buds next up i am thrilled i love this interview uh, to welcome david o russell to the podcast to discuss his incredible new film amsterdam it is a phenomenal ride um, christian bale and him were very much collaborating on this whole story from the very very start it's out in cinemas in fact on friday the 7th of october so maybe if you're listening to this go and see amsterdam in cinemas for many reasons a really unique story uh, it kind of crosses so many genres of films for the performances alone from john david washington from as i said christian bale margot robbie as well michael shannon um who else andrea riseborough mike myers it's a fantastic cast and i think um, a fantastic film and on top of that a thoroughly brilliant score from Daniel Pemberton. So Amsterdam in cinemas, 7th of October, go see it and then join me and David O'Russell on next week's episode of Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>